This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. everyone and welcome back to Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. Our third season begins here. I'm David Brandt, digital strategist for the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers, and we're opening this season with three separate episodes featuring interviews with the keynote speakers for the IISE Lean Six Sigma and Data Science Conference, taking place live September 20th through the 22nd at the Grand Hyatt Buckhead in Atlanta. In part one of our triple hit premiere, IISE's Director of Continuing Education, James Switcher, chats with Joyce Siegley, Director of Productivity Management at Northside Hospital in Atlanta. You can learn more about our conference program, registration, and health and safety measures for the event by visiting our website at IISE.org slash Lean Six Sigma. And if this is your first time listening to Problem Solved, you can go back and download our first two seasons at podcast.iise.org or wherever you find your favorite podcast programs. In the meantime, let's begin our new season with Northside Hospital's Joyce Siegley. Please welcome Joyce Siegley, Director of Productivity Management for Northside Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. Joyce, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you, James, for having me. I'm excited to be here today. So um, I come from an industrial and systems engineering background. I received both my bachelor's and master's from the University of Florida. And I started out with IISE as a student and have been a member ever since. So very excited to be here sharing today. Um, Hooray. Yes. So since graduating with my master's, I've been in healthcare ever since. I did consulting for a little bit over three years right out of completing my master's degree. And then I've been at Northside ever since then. So um, from a professional association, not only with IISE, I'm actually been very involved with um, Society for Health Systems. Um, I was on the board of directors and also served as a former president and have been very involved with the society and the organization. And so I'm very excited to be here today to share with all of IISC about everything that's been going on in healthcare over the past year or so. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Joyce. And th- thanks for all of your service to IISE and SHS. Um, you're just a delight to work with, and I can't wait to to learn more from you. And of course, we're excited to have you uh, as a keynote speaker at this year's Lean Six Sigma and Data Science Conference. And it's uh, I guess it's hard to talk about healthcare and data science these days without talking about COVID. So I, <laughs> I apologize for <laughs> yeah. for bring, making that a topic today. But uh, but I was I was interested in you know just thinking about um, the the role that data has been playing during the pandemic and you know what what have you seen healthcare providers how are they using data to to monitor changes in the in the pandemic and monitor what's going on um, in real time um, what kind of tools are you seeing folks use to stay prepared in healthcare yeah that's a great question and thank you for asking it i i mean i think that um you know th- there's a whole gamut of data that we're looking at, you know, I think as far as like trying to be able to know, you know, what's coming next or what's around the corner. I know that we actually have some of the folks, you know, 
that have been very active with SHS have been involved with helping develop some modeling tools at their organizations that they have shared and they've even um, been published, I believe, and can go find them out on the internet um, as well as other channels. But really, it's been a lot of trying to tap into the different, whether it's governmental agencies or, um, you know, more from a local or state standpoint, there are a lot of resources out there and a lot of folks that have been helping to provide that data so that we can have an idea about what's happening and what's going on. But more specifically, down at the organization level, I think a lot of it has been trying to trend and track, you know, exactly what is happening with our COVID-19 patients. You know, what are we seeing from, you know, the volume of them showing up? But in addition to that, what is their severity of illness? Um, You know, we have COVID-19 patients show up that they may need just, you know, minor levels of treatment and then they're able to go home. Whereas then we have the extreme cases of where we have patients that end up having to spend several days, if not weeks in the hospital. So being able to understand the severity of their illnesses in addition to the volume has been very helpful um, for our healthcare providers as they're trying to take care of our current patients, but be, be prepared for what's right around the corner. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. It sounds like a lot of work to sort of take that external macro data and then combine it with, you know, what's happening at the organization level so that you can really get a sense of both the the local uh, data and, and maybe the broader environmental data and make some decisions from that. Yes, definitely maybe switching from data for a second and thinking about the human aspect, <laughs> uh, it takes people to provide healthcare. Um, how are you seeing burnout affect, uh, you know, staff in, in, in healthcare facilities uh, around the country? Is that, is that a big factor? And, and if so, how are, how are folks addressing that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, as we look at the life cycle of what we've experienced over the past, you know, 15 to 18 months now since, you know, COVID-19 really hit um, the healthcare organizations, I mean, I think it's kind of had different points as well with the burnout of our staff. You know, I think initially... Excuse me, we were having to make sure that, you know, we were able to have our healthcare providers be educated and be able to help, you know, provide the care that these patients would need, which is slightly different than anything we've ever had before. But then being able to, you know, months into it, be able to recognize and understand, you know, are they experiencing burnout? You know, what can we do to help support our staff members? And so just some examples of some things to do is, you know, um, if you think about like a typical inpatient nursing unit, you know, you don't necessarily want to have all the same staff members that are out of that home-based unit just taking care of COVID patients. So um, just as an example, at one of our um, facilities, we were able to set up like a rotation so that, you know, that everybody, you know, basically had a turn um, helping to take care of the uh, COVID-19 patients so that it wasn't burdened on any one particular, you know, group or department um, as far as having to do that. So that definitely helped. 
I think too, recognizing and listening to our staff members, you know, what do they need? You know, what, what can help them so that they don't experience burnout? Um, because they're in a whole different environment of, we may have had isolation patients in the past where there may have been just a few per inpatient floor, whereas now maybe the entire floor was um, the COVID patients and they were having to wear the personal protective equipment or PPE, as we call it, all the time. So what are some things that we could do to help that? So another example I think that several healthcare organizations did was they actually put what they called in place maybe a runner or um, an outside person. So once the um, staff member, the clinical staff member was actually physically in the room with the patient and they may have forgotten something. So instead of having to totally, you know, undress, get the item and redress, we're able to provide some support roles of being able to help go get things for them that they may not have realized that they need to help save time and even some of the stress of having to go through that whole process again when um, they may have just done it to get in and spend some time with that patient to help meet their needs. That's a great example. And has that been a way for for non-clinical folks, folks who aren't on the front line of care to to sort of get involved and help out in roles like those runner roles or or other roles? Sure, definitely. And I, you know, I know that, um, you know, I listened to, and I, we have some other podcasts out there about a year ago <laughs> where we were specifically talking about, um, you know, healthcare and COVID-19 and some things like that. So, you know, definitely, um, you know, having kind of all the skill levels um, be involved in whatever form or fashion they can and recognizing the fact that even if they're not a direct care provider, they're still helping to take care of the patients, whether they're in a support role or an ancillary role, and they're still having to help be here in order to make um, the healthcare organizations be able to run so that the direct care providers can um, take care of those patients. So yes, it has created some new opportunities. Um, You know, when we think about the fact that we've had to set up, you know, visitor screening stations, you know, we've looked at what are the appropriate skill levels to be able to do that so that we can keep our clinical folks, our direct care providers more up, um, you know, taking care of the patients that need that extra care or, or higher acuity and then using some different skill levels to greet our patients as they come in to help screen them and make sure that they're safe to be here. And again, that whole process has evolved over time, you know, and I think we're at a different place today than we were a few months ago and definitely (laughs) a year ago as far as um, that goes. So yes, being able to utilize all of our different skill sets and and be able to give them opportunities they may not normally have. That's great. And that's, that's a great segue too. I, I, thinking about um, so many different opportunities for industrial and systems engineers to contribute to new processes that <laughs> that the pandemic uh, has spawned. And one of those, I think, is maybe vaccination sites. And you know, I, I think about that as having this um, kind of traditional supply chain component to it, but it's also got a productivity management and labor management uh, component to it. It's got a, a, a whole queuing <laughs> yeah. system. Yeah. To, you know, there, there are um, uh, lots and lots of 
different uh, ISE uh, components to vaccination clinics. So um, how have you seen organizations kind of address those logistical challenges in, in setting those up? Yes, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, and it definitely was just that a logistical challenge because um, it all happened, you know, so quickly as far as you know being able to get to get those out, you know, once they were received. And I know, you know, again, it kind of stems down. Even though we may be hearing about things nationally, really, when it comes to actualizing it, you know, the healthcare organizations are having to help deal with it more at their, you know. State and definitely local, if not county level. Um, so it, it did take a lot of, you know, players to help make it all happen, you know, very quickly. And if we, you know, go back and remember, you know, when it was all kind of first coming out, there was at least, you know, for us locally, which I think was the case for most everybody nationwide, you know, kind of a tier of who could get the vaccinations. Yes. Um, so it started out with the healthcare workers and then it kind of went into, um, you know, I'll call them, you know, our, our nursing uh type facilities, you know, where we had to make sure um, the assisted living facilities, the skilled nursing facilities, that we were able to help protect those patients um, as kind of the next tier and then on down from there. So as far as like thinking about our um, get making sure that all the employees at the healthcare organizations and the healthcare workers were vaccinated um, to help protect them, really, I think that some organizations were able to kind of lean into some processes that they had in place as it relates to if we think about like our annual influenza vaccinations that are provided, right. um, you know, a lot of times that those create an all hands on deck atmosphere for a fast and furious <laughs> period of a few weeks to get everybody, you know, vaccinated that way. Sure. So we may have clinical folks that aren't um, in a direct care provider role that are able to kind of pull away for a few weeks to help provide vaccinations. And so again, we kind of leaned into some of the things that, that um, we had done in the past. And I know other healthcare organizations did that too. So as far as being able to help do the healthcare uh, providers and workers, I think it may have been a little bit easier than once having to go out into the communities where partnerships were created uh, with communities, with um, counties, with different um, religious organizations or community centers to try to create environments that could hold um, the community members to come in and receive their vaccines. So there was a lot of communication with organizations that uh, we may not normally work with, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis to be able to help to secure space, um, you know, definitely making sure about being able to secure the vaccinations themselves. And then again, trying to be able to schedule the patients. Again, we still had to maintain the social distancing. We didn't want, you know, too many people showing up at any one time making sure that we had enough stations set up, you know, were we going to be able to set up a site that maybe had, you know, 25 stations versus a site that may just have four stations. 
And right. then how can we utilize, you know, community um, assistance to help with maybe some of the non-clinical positions as far as, you know, greeting and welcoming patients as they came in, getting them checked in, getting them signed in, and then helping to logistically get them maybe to a station where they could receive their vaccine. So, again, to your point, a lot of industrial engineering work when it comes to not only the supply chain of it, but the logistics, the scheduling, the staffing, you know, all of that came into play to be able to help make it happen so quickly. And, um, I know that it seemed like at least, you know, um, for me, knowing what I could see different healthcare organizations doing, but then just as a community member myself, you know, to see what happened and how, you know, places kind of like sprung up, you know, overnight, it seemed that um, being able to offer services so that, you know, people could come in and get um, the vaccines as quickly as possible. I know we even had, um, you can hear about now. Ashley, I know definitely in Atlanta, we've had some of our huge, you know, conference centers and stadiums even opened up to be able to accept patients. And then different healthcare organizations were able to partner with them to help provide, you know, staff members to help provide the vaccines. That's wonderful. And I guess uh, now's as good a time as any uh, uh, for a shameless plug to say, if you, if you haven't gotten your vaccination yet, there are still doses available no matter where you are in the country. So, yes, <laughs> yes. and please, please do. So um, again, just to plug real quick, you know, I know that we're hearing again nationally about some of the variants um, that are out. And again, you know, this is kind of what we've experienced the whole time. We don't know exactly what what's going to happen when, Um, and in order to help, you know, uh, protect and prepare our community members and also our healthcare organizations, please do get your vaccine so that we can help protect all of us as much as possible. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like Joyce, you've had uh, from a kind of from a Lean Six Sigma lens, lots of um, lots of plan, do, check, act cycles, uh, yeah. whether it's in, in vaccination clinics or the use of data or uh, helping people deal with uh, burnout. There sounds like there's just been a lot of learning along the way. And I was I was wondering, have you seen that learning shared among um, different providers throughout the healthcare industry or folks uh, open and and uh, happy to share when they when they figure something out? Yes, I mean, I think so. I mean, I've been, um, I think, you know, um, Society for Health Systems was able to offer, um, we did a think tank series um, yeah. about a year ago that we had several of our members and even outside folks help um, provide some information and data just as a pure, you know, sharing methodology. There's other um, organizations that I've been involved in, professional organizations that have really, um, you know, taken this opportunity to do a lot more education um, as people maybe had to do it virtually as opposed to -to face-to-face to be able to help spread out some information and share it a lot more easily and a lot more quickly. You know, I think that, you know, at least in healthcare, um, you know, this is going to help springboard um, maybe some ideas and thoughts that have been out there for a while um, that haven't haven't really kind of, you know, 
sunk in yet, this op- this has kind of created those opportunities to make those things happen. So I think there's been a lot more collaboration, a lot more sharing. I think communities as a whole have also been ha- able to, you know, share more than maybe in the past. I think that the healthcare organizations locally as well as nationally have been able to share um, more lessons learned, you know. Um, what would we do differently? What did we learn from doing it this way? How could we take um, this particular example or maybe what this particular area did and apply it to something else? So I, I definitely think that channels of communication have been opened. I think it's allowed um, even different healthcare provider skill sets you know, to be able to to talk. I think, you know, I know one thing that's been out there is a lot of the telehealth and telemedicine, Um, you know, and I think there's even research out there that this has maybe helped springboard us like 10 years ahead by, you know, just fast and furiously creating things or springboarding things that were kind of stalled out a little bit, um, you know, from a provider standpoint or maybe healthcare organization standpoint, it's really opened up doors to do that. And that's just one example. I mean, I know sure. that there's several others out there and certainly don't want to leave those out um, <laughs> to be able to, you know, hopefully continue heading this in the right direction uh, for the future of healthcare. It's hard to uh, touch on everything uh, in a podcast, but uh, <laughs> but certainly those are great examples, and 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 certainly there'll be a whole lot more of those kinds of examples at our our Lean Six Sigma Data Science Conference uh, in September, September twentieth through the twenty second here in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, really excited about seeing folks share not just in healthcare but across lots of industries, um, share those best practices and share what they're learning, and um, we're very excited, Joyce, to have you as a keynote speaker at the conference. Can you uh, can you tell us a little bit about maybe what you're excited about about this year's conference or maybe a, a sneak peek of what uh, what you might uh, be planning to uh, talk to us about a little bit? So, you know, whatever you'd like to share. <laughs> sure, sure. No, I mean, I think, you know, um, honestly, I'm quite excited to be back in person um, and be Me able too. to see everybody <laughs> um, and have the collaboration and the sharing. And um, I know that we've definitely adjusted um some more so than others to being more virtual over the past kind of 15 to 18 months. But um, it's always nice to be able to be in person and to truly be able to collaborate. So I'm very excited about that. And I would encourage, you know, everybody to attend, to be able to hear in your own industry, some of the best practices and some of the things that have come out of all of this um, tenure, you know, that we've been through and that we've been on. And, um, you know, as far as like a little bit of a sneak peek, I I know we're we're kind of talking, you know, um, more globally, or I should say more broad about some of the things that happened in healthcare uh, during the COVID-19. And I'm going to really kind of talk a little bit more specifically um, 
from a staffing perspective. Um, oh, that's kind of uh, being the product, being in productivity management, that's kind of right up my alley, but um, do want to be able to share some of that with folks as well. Um, kind of how uh, we were impacted, how decisions were made, how healthcare organizations at a whole were impacted and some of the things that, that happened that we don't necessarily think about or hear about um, in the news as it relates to, you know, some of the changes that happened, you know, at the healthcare organizations through the course of the past 15 to 18 months. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to hear about that. Uh, I certainly not just in healthcare, but particularly in healthcare. Um, it's, you know, it's such a, a human driven enterprise. So <laughs> staffing, um, nothing happens without staffing in healthcare. Uh, and I think that's probably true of a, a lot of industries that will be represented at the conference. So I am, uh, I'm really excited to hear about that choice. So thanks. Thanks for the sneak peek. Sure. Excited to be there. Well, me too. Me too. And as you said, it would be wonderful to to share some of those uh, learnings and and best practices in person. Um, certainly, having you know virtual tools to communicate um, has been a real game changer, I think, for all of us. But I don't think it's a replacement for in person interaction. So I'm uh, I'm really excited to to see smiling faces and uh, and to hear about what's going on for everybody in their worlds. Yes, definitely. Well, Joyce, thank you so much for joining us today. I've learned a lot and uh, I can't wait to see you in September. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, a production of the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers in Metro Atlanta. This podcast is produced by David Brandt, Keith Albertson, and Michael Hughes and edited by David Brandt. You can listen to all episodes of Problem Solved and learn about sponsorship opportunities by visiting our website, podcast.iise.org. You can also learn more about IISE at the Institute's website, www.iise.org.